There are all kinds of strange winds blowing through the church today. The church in the Western world is yielding to winds of compromise, the pressure to entertain instead of equip believers, the lure to preach a feel-good social gospel instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of heaven, hell, the cross and the blood are no longer fashionable. Preachers either keep silent or make politically correct but biblically inaccurate statements on important issues to appeal to the masses. As the body of Christ, it is time we take our stand by the word of God, empowered by the Spirit, rather than blindly follow. We will not falter, withdraw or apologize for what we believe preach, teach and practice. Here we stand. We will not falter. Why don't we stand up to our feet and make our, make our declaration right now and then we'll get into God's word. So if you brought your Bible, you don't mind, just hold your Bible high up in the air. Let's say this loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master, and to him I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Shake hands, please, for the people around you. Just get to know them, say hello, and you may be seated. There's a message that I've wanted to share with us for some time, and uh, I felt that this last Sunday of 2015, as we close out this year, Uh, It would be appropriate to talk about this, to bring this message to us. Uh, I know that many are not present here, but hopefully they'll get it up, uh, listen to it online or listen to it later. I'd like to title the sermon this morning, Here We Stand, We Will Not Falter. Here We Stand, We Will Not Falter. Just to impress on our hearts the importance of us being firm in our knowledge of the truth and where we stand and our determination not to fall, not to deviate, not to go away from what we know as the truth. Several centuries ago, this was back in 1517, on the 31st of October, there was a man named Martin Luther who walked up to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed his 95 thesis on the door because there were several things going on with the institutionalized church at that time, which he just couldn't reconcile with. He just couldn't accept. And so he had to speak up. He had to let his voice be heard. And so he took this daring step. Of course, this led to a lot of repercussions, there was a lot of turmoil. Four years later, in 
1521, in the month of April, Martin Luther was called to stand before the Roman Emperor to defend what he had been teaching and writing. So you can imagine one man standing up against an entire institution. Now he had to be brought before the emperor himself to defend what he'd been speaking. And here are now these famous words that he spoke at that time. As he concluded his speech, this is what he said. And I quote, English translation, of course, from German. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason, for I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves, I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus, I cannot and will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. So basically he said, I'm standing here. This is my defense. My conscience is captive by the word of God. And I will not, I cannot recant. God help me. The impact of that one man's stand has altered or affected Christianity as we know it. And has caused an entire stream of people who have since then embraced some of the things he stood for and grown in, in the truth and in their own discovery of the Word of God. But I recall this to, our, to us this morning just to emphasize and present to us the importance of having a people who will stand by what they believe, no matter what it's going to cost them. 2015 has been such a kind of a year for the church. I mean, I say the church, I'm not speaking about us as a local church. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the body of believers globally, where we've seen all kinds of strong winds blow against the church. And, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, there's been so much of compromise. And we've let a lot of the things of the world, sometimes the pressures of the world, and the way the world is going to infiltrate into the church, I feel that's very dangerous. And that's why this morning's message, here we stand, we will not falter. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, He's writing to Timothy, whom he has appointed to take care of the church in Ephesus. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, I'm planning to come to you, but if I'm delayed, I'm writing all these things to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. The church is called to be the pillar, the upholder, and the ground, the foundation of truth. What happens if this pillar becomes shaky? What happens if this foundation becomes shaky? 
truth can no longer be upheld in society and the world loses its only point of truth. So you have people saying there is no truth. Now to accept that statement, I do have to believe in truth. The church of Jesus Christ is in this world to be the pillar and to be the ground, the foundation of truth. We must stand for it. We're here to bring that to the world. Jesus put it this way in this familiar passage in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He said, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, of what use will it be? It's then good for nothing just to be thrown and trampled underfoot. He said, you are the light of the world. But you don't take that light and hide it somewhere. You put it in a place where it can give its light as far and as wide as possible. You and I as believers are called to be salt and called to be light. If you and I lose our saltiness, we are of no use here. If you and I hide the light, the world is going to suffer. And so what I want to challenge you and I as believers is, if we are going to be believers, let's be salty. If we are going to be believers, let's shine our lights. Otherwise, just forget it. So, as it was in Paul's days, and we find similar things happening in our day, when Paul warned the church of all kinds of winds of doctrine, he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 14 and 15, he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speak the truth in love. And we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So there are all kinds of winds that are blowing around the church. And some of it seems to be blowing through the church. And not every wind that blows through the church is the wind of the Spirit. Sometimes it's the wind of all kinds of wrong doctrines, wrong ideas, man's philosophies, humanistic ideas that are blowing through the church. But Paul says... Don't be like children that are being tossed to and fro by all of these winds. I want you to hold on to the truth. I want you to be committed to the truth. Keep speaking the truth. Just do it in love. And grow up in everything to be like Jesus. And so we find this happening in our day, in the church today, in the body of Christ globally. And so my intent this morning is just to bring our attention to some of these things, but more importantly, to call us to this underlying basis that we must stand by the word of God. Here we stand, we will not falter. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, a stern warning. He said, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who obey not the gospel of Christ? When God begins to do his cleanup work, he begins in the house of God. He begins in the church. And God wants to deal with the sin in the world. Where does he start? In the church. So if the church is messed up, if the church itself is living in compromise... If judgment begins at the house of God and we are shaken, what's going to happen to the world outside? 
Because they've, they did not have the message of truth. So I want to call us as, as a people to stand by the truth, by the word of God. Whether it's for good or whether it's for bad, what happens to the church in the Western world seems to somehow trickle down to the church in the rest of the world. The body of Christ, the church and the rest of the world seems to, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, blindly follow what happens to the church in the Western world. And you see that happening right here in our city. And so I want to alert us, I want to awaken us as saying, No, that's not the way it should be. It doesn't matter what happens to the church in the Western world. You and I should be strong enough to say, here we stand, we will not falter. We stand by the word of God. We will not falter. And so like God spoke to Isaiah in Isaiah 58 in verse 1, God spoke to him. He said, Isaiah, I want you to cry out aloud. Spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression, the house of Jacob, their sin. Somebody needs to lift up their voice. Somebody needs to say, this is the truth. We will not falter. We will stand by it. And that's our intent this morning, not to be judgmental or condemning, but to speak about certain things that are happening and to invite you and me as God's people saying, we are going to stand by the word of God. And so I want to address some issues, not all, Some of these things that are affecting the church, of course, a lot of this is happening in the church in the Western world, but I I fear that this is going to begin to happen here in our own city. And and, 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 we were having this conference call with our pastors yesterday discussing this message, and we agreed that some of these things you are already seeing happening in the church in our own city. And it's not good. Some of these issues, number one, The church giving in to entertainment instead of discipling. More and more we see the church becoming huge entertainment centers rather than disciple-making centers. So what do you mean? We have churches where we all think about how can we entertain people? How can we make them feel good every Sunday morning? Why? We need to get them coming back next Sunday. So let's cater to making people feel good. And we go away from our primary purpose of winning souls, making disciples, and equipping God's people to do the work of the ministry. The church has not been placed on the earth to entertain people. The church is here to win souls, make disciples, and equip God's people. Amen? And so what's happened is more and more the church is feeding into the consumer mentality of people because people are asking this question, how did I feel when I went to church? If I felt nice, I'll go back. If I didn't feel, I won't go back. Not too many are asking, what truths did I learn? How did the word of God challenge me? How did it affect me? Was I equipped to serve God? We're asking the wrong kinds of questions. And we are feeding in to that consumer mentality in people. I'm not saying that we should not use the tools. I believe in using the tools and all available tools. And we do that as a church. And, but tools are only tools. The message cannot be altered and should not be altered. We need to preach the word of God in order to equip the people. And I fear 
that churches in our own city are beginning to become entertainment centers to please people rather than becoming equipping centers to equip saints to do the work of the ministry. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul made it very clear the reason why God has placed apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers in the church. He says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So why are pastors there? Why are there preachers? Why are there evangelists? Why are there apostles and prophets? Not to entertain people Sunday after Sunday. But we are here to equip the people. Give them the training, the equipping of the word of God and the things of God. So that they can do the work of the ministry and build up the body of. Unfortunately, today, because of the kind of preaching and teaching and, 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 and diluting of what's happening in the church there is lightness and looseness in the church. There is a spirit of irre- irreverence. There is spiritual lethargy. We've got all kinds of versions of the Bible. And yet we are biblically illiterate. There is a massive loss of spiritual fervor and zeal. Christians depend more on, on the latest fads in the church the popular cliches and free phrases and cool statements made by the pastors, they know that more than they know the Bible. You can't resist the devil by quoting some nice little cliche or phrase your pastor made. You, resist the, you cannot resist the devil with those things. You resist the devil with the word of God. The Bible doesn't say, take this nice phrase, you'll resist the devil. The Bible says, take the word of God, which is the sword of the We've got to be culturally relevant, but we've got to minister the word. We've got to talk the word. We've got to preach the word without diluting it in order to meet and speak into the lives of people. A second major problem we see in the church today is the preaching of a social gospel and a gospel of inclusion instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, instead of preaching the fact that there is sin and there is a need for repentance and a need for faith in Jesus Christ, Most pulpits preach today a social gospel. We are all brothers and sisters, the devil included. Oh, we just have to live nice, love each other, fine. We'll all make it to heaven, including the devil. The social gospel, the gospel of inclusion. Because we are afraid to talk about sin. We are afraid to talk about repentance because that's politically incorrect. And I don't want to make any enemies. I want everybody to be my friends. God bless you. The Bible says if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Pick which side you want to be. And so what's happening is more and more pulpits are preaching a social gospel. A gospel that makes everybody feel nice. Nobody wants to address sin. Nobody wants to address wrongdoing. Nobody wants to talk about repentance. So long as we can all come together and have a nice big church and have a nice time. Make everybody feel like we're all in harmony. So what happens? By preaching politically correct messages, we have become biblically inaccurate. Connected to this is the third problem that we see in pulpits around the world that deny the existence of heaven and hell and avoid the preaching of the message of the cross and the blood. Because to talk about heaven and hell, to talk about the cross and the blood is a little out of fashion. Because who wants a bloody religion? Who wants to talk about a a crucified savior. You got to talk about a savior in nice jeans and t-shirt. Cool looking. Then people will come. 
But if you talk about a Savior who's hanging on a cross and his blood bleeding, and you're saying you believe in him who died for you and rose up again, yeah, that doesn't sound too good. And so what happens? We don't talk about heaven and hell. We don't talk about eternity. We don't talk about the crucified Savior. We don't talk about the, the need to have his blood cleanse our lives. And we preach all the other niceties uh, and nice things. But you know, hearing all those nice things will still not make a person saved. So we got to be careful. Paul actually wrote about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. I'm just quoting one passage. But he's told Timothy, he said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. When was the last time you went to church and felt rebuked? Did you go back? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they will have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. That, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So what's saying? Paul's saying, you know, there's a time coming when they will not be willing to listen to sound teaching. But they will have itching ears. Ears that want to hear pleasant things. And they will heap up. That means there's going to be a lot of these people. They will heap up for themselves teachers who will be able to teach them nice things that are pleasant to their ears. But he says, these are people who've gone away from the truth and are now listening to fables, man-made stories. So do you want to come to church and hear the truth or do you want to come to church and hear man-made stories? Paul says the time's coming. And that's what's going to happen. They will heap up for themselves. Meaning you're going to find lots of these. But Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, but you be watchful in all things. You endure afflictions. You do the work of the evangelist. You make fulfill your ministry. I realize there are many issues of importance affecting our world today. For which the church needs to respond. The church needs to engage in. And the things like poverty and hunger. Human trafficking and education. The whole issue of violence and terrorist activity and human life and dignity and abortion, the right to die and assisted suicide, and all of these things are issues that, that affect the church, but for which the church needs to speak the truth. But in 2015, there's been one issue that's really impacted the church and which has really challenged Christian leaders around the world. That brings me to point number four, the issue of homosexuality and the legalizing of same-sex marriages. Sure, we need to have an answer to all those other things, but I'm just touching on one of these. Unfortunately, when all of this was happening and these storms were lashing on the doors of the church, many Christian leaders chose to remain silent. When you remain silent, people don't know what to stand for. Some others spoke, but what they said was so unclear, people didn't know whether they were saying yes or no. What's the point? If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who will prepare themselves for battle? And worse still, some leaders and many Christian leaders swung to the right and said, yeah, maybe, you know, God did create some people like this. So we should embrace this as a lifestyle and, 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 and you know, just accommodate all of this in the church. But what does the word say? Our convictions should be based on the word. 
what does the word say? It still reads the same today as it read, as it did many hundreds of years ago. As far as marriage is concerned, the scriptures teach us that marriage is between one man and one woman. As far as homosexuality goes, the Bible is clear, emphatic, in no uncertain terms that homosexuality is sin. I just point you to one passage in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 32. We've read this several times in recent weeks where, where it says that God gave them up to uncleanness, the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them up to wild passions, for even their women exchanged their natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving their natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. What's he talking about? He's talking about homosexuality right here. What's the consequence? And in, in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, wild and proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. While the church itself cannot determine what's passed in the courts of law, one thing the church can do is it can stand by the truth. And it can say, this is what we stand for. And unfortunately, many leaders this year have either not spoken up or either have have spoken something that's so unclear or worse still, have swung to a place where their stand actually is against what the Word of God teaches. September 8, 2015, Charisma News released a letter written by an ex-lesbian, and she wrote this letter to pastors across America, and I find it very important. I just want to read the entirety of that letter. Here's what she writes. She says, Dear pastors, there are things I urgently need for you to know, and there are things I desperately need you to tell me. I shudder to think where I'd be today if my pastor had not been bold enough to tell me the truth regarding homosexuality, a lifestyle in which I lived for more than 30 years. Pastors, please take time out of your busy schedule to read my humble plea. First, I need you to tell me in no uncertain terms that homosexuality is a sin. Show me what the Bible says and tell me what the Word of God, that the Word of God is eternal and does not change with the times. Please don't tell me that you won't address it or that you don't have an opinion. Because if you don't speak up, I'm going to think that it's all right and will be headed for an eternity in hell. Pastors, when I come to you seeking answers, I need you to boldly speak the truth in love. My very salvation depends on it. Next, please let me know that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to cover any sin I have committed, including that of homosexuality. Please tell me that every sin, no matter how minor or major it seems, is an affront to God. 
If you don't, I will feel like my sin because it feels more embarrassing or shocking. It's harder for God to forgive than the others. And I will be left with the wrong impression that homosexuality is the unpardonable sin. It's not. And last, I need you to tell me to repent. Please tell me that true Christianity calls for a genuine repentance of all sin including homosexuality. And pastors, if I try to make excuses to live in my sin, stand firm because my eternal destiny hinges on it. And then, and this is so very important, tell me that God's power and mercy and grace are more than enough for me to live in absolute freedom. If you don't, I will think that homosexuality is the only sin for which God's power isn't enough. It is. When I was looking for truth and answers, I walked into a church just like yours for the first time in years. I started attending regularly and started feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart as I learned what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I mustered up the courage to speak with my pastor and shared that I was a homosexual, thinking it was an unchangeable fact. When I walked out of my pastor's office, I had received the unchangeable truth. Homosexuality is a sin God hates all sin. God loves me. Jesus died for me. I needed to repent from all sin. The cross was enough to forgive me of all sin. God's power delivers me from all sin. Jesus is enough even for those who struggle with homosexuality. Pastors speaking truth no matter how difficult does not have to end with people running out for the exits. I am living proof. I have completely renounced the homosexual lifestyle. I'm a devoted follower of Christ and live in truth, victory, and freedom every day of my life. I will forever be grateful to my pastor for holding to the truth of God's word. And pastors, I pray that your congregants will be the same. With all gratefulness, humility, and love. And she signs off this letter. People need to hear the truth. They need to know where we stand. The last thing I just want to talk about is the rising religious intolerance towards Christians. And it's happening all over in our own nation, but even in the Western world. You've probably read many of these things in the news. And it's going to happen. It's going to be open. It's going to be aggressive. And people will no longer tolerate you or appreciate you necessarily because you are a Christian, because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus spoke to us about it. He said, you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. And he who endures to the end will be saved. It's going to happen. It is happening. But what should our stand be? We need to go back to the early church as our point of reference. What did they do? One passage that I want to look at before we close in Acts 5 verses 28 to 42 uh, when the apostles were apprehended and, 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 the, and the leaders of the city, they, verse 28, they said, they strictly commanded them, we don't want you to talk about Jesus anymore. So in modern terms, you'll call it gag orders being issued. Don't talk about Jesus. Not allowed to. What was their response? Verse 28. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. We will speak. We will talk about Jesus. Because every man has a right peacefully to believe what they believe and to share what they believe. And as the leaders began to discuss what to do with this crazy bunch called Christians, 
Gamaliel, a Pharisee, he stands up and, and, and Peter does speak to them in verse 32. He says, we are his witnesses to these things that the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us is with us. So they depended on the power of the Holy Spirit saying, we're going to stand, the Holy Spirit's going to help us. And Gamaliel finally advises them, and I'm skipping over to verse 38 and 39. He says, now I say to you, keep away from these men, let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you, be even found, lest you even be found to fight against God. One thing we must all know, be convinced, is that nobody can overthrow the work of God. The church will stand triumphant because the church stands on its one foundation, Jesus Christ. Nobody, no man and no devil will, be, will ever be able to overthrow the church. No king, no ruler, no president, no government, no court of law can overthrow the church. Because we're standing on our foundation, Jesus Christ. But the challenge to you and me as believers this morning is simply for us to know where we stand. We are standing by the word and we will not falter. I want to close with these words. As the body of Christ, we must take our stand by the word of God empowered by the Spirit. We must have this resolve that we will not falter, recant, withdraw, apologize for what we believe, preach, teach, and practice. Here we stand. We will not falter. Amen. Let's rise to our feet, please. Would you take a moment right now as you're standing here this morning? Just between you and God to say, God, empower my life that I will stand with the truth your word reveals to me, God. I will stand by this. That I will not falter. I will have the courage and the conviction to speak in love the truth. Because people need the truth. And it is the truth that will liberate people. That will set people free. And Father, this morning we pray that you will give us, Lord, the understanding, the discernment, and the resolve, O oh God, to correctly and accurately know the truth, to have our convictions formed and framed by the Word of God, and to stand by the truth. Even if it makes us unpopular, even if it causes us to be mocked at, laughed at, scorned at, God, we want to stand what you've said in your words. Help us, each, each one of us personally, and us as a corporate body, to be pillars and foundations of truth. Give us the courage, Lord, to be salt and light, where it really matters. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close, please. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to his power that's at work in each of us. Unto him be glory in the church through Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here this Sunday morning. Have a great lunch or time with the family. And see you again. Here's Eve.
God bless. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.